Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. Great to chat with you guys. And we have a guest today. We have Ian Wharton on. Ian was on last year at least once, maybe twice, talking draft. And I'm going to have him explain it to you, but he's sort of shift gears what he's doing in the football world. And I don't know that anyone else is doing it. So I want you guys to really check out his work. Ian, what's shaking? Tell us all about it. And before you do, we're friends on Facebook. Is today your birthday? Yes, sir. Yes, it is. Wow. I can't believe you scheduled. We scheduled this like a week ago. I can't believe you scheduled this for your birthday around dinner time. You should be out getting a steak and at the bars and stuff. And you're hanging out with the Locked On NFL Network. Yeah, of course. It was a no-brainer decision, but, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that not only that is that true, but, you know, I generally don't really view my birthday as a, a huge deal. It's just, you know, it is, it's just basically another day for me, um, but I would rather People spend People do my take birthday. a little too much credit for it. I mean, yeah, none of us really bit. did anything <laughs> except, you know, kind of falling out, you know. To, yeah, <laughs> right. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do the impressive feat here. That right. was, you know, my mom. That was somebody so, else, right. Yeah, exactly. And the doctors, they did a great job, not okay, me. Good for them, right. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I couldn't be happier to join you. Uh, you know, we had a great time last year, and, and you know, this is this is silly season at its finest, and um, so I'm real happy to be here. No doubt about it. So, please plug what you just put out, because, like I said, I don't think anyone else is doing it. Explain in detail the whole deal. Yes. So for the last couple of years, one of my offseason projects, um, and definitely not to the extent that I did it this year, um, has been looking at the NFL cornerbacks and really digging in deep and looking beyond the numbers. Um, Although this year I also tallied the numbers um, just to kind of continue to give context to the position, but looking beyond the numbers in like a more of a subjective manner and looking at man routes, specifically off man press slot plays and charting these uh, routes that these corners are, are uh, having to defend and looking at how successful they are at staying within an arm's length of the receiver. And so there's a reason why there's an arm's length, because generally the coaching staffs that I worked in, worked with um, in college, both at Ashland University and University of Houston, those coaching staffs really prioritize um, the process at the position. And I really value um, process, not necessarily over results, but I generally think a great process at any position is going to bear to good results in due time, even if you are maybe giving up uh, negative plays in the meantime. But if you have good process, eventually, my theory is that that will flip. And so I I bring that to the cornerback position. And so for four years, I've been kind of tracking this data, and it's been fairly predictive. It's looked really brightly on guys like Marcus Peters, Casey Hayward before he signed with the Chargers. Um, It kind of prequel the decline of Joe Hayden and guys like that. And so is it 100%? No. Do I always guarantee the numbers to be perfect as far as um, they're you know, exactly uh, what you should be judging every cornerback by? Not necessarily. There are some weird wonky results in there, especially at the slot position. But I think it helps add context to the position in a way that no one else is really doing it because I'm looking at the process over the results. But in the meantime, I, like I said, I, I am also providing you with receptions allowed, yards allowed, touchdowns, penalties, things like that, and actual usage, so press off man, and helping to look at the schemes that these teams are running so that we can uh, kind of judge these guys in a better light over just interceptions, tackles, and passes defense, because that's where it really goes for most people. And then they look at PFF grades, um, which can be a nice tool, 
But I, I think that this is a more predictive tool and something that actually looks at quality of play a little bit more, um, even when guys aren't targeted. And so that's part of this formula as well as as I'm looking at plays where all cornerbacks are involved, not just targeted plays. Um, and then that kind of translates into what I call success rate. Um, so how successful are they at staying within that arm's length of a receiver? So um, it's pretty straightforward. Um, it, it's a lot of information, man. We got 359 pages in this thing. Uh, I broke it down. Every team has at least three corners covered. Some teams have as many as five covered, just depending on uh, how many they played and the significant amount of snaps. Uh, I broke it down into um, team rankings as well, so not just individuals on a team, but I, I assembled everything into one. And so you can look from the Minnesota Vikings, who I believe were number one, to the Green Bay Packers, who were number 32 as far as their cumulative success rate. Uh, for boundary corners so and then I break it down into press and off man so there's a lot of information here I mean this is something that's great for fantasy football players who want to get an edge up maybe on their opponents entering next year because you can look at schedules and kind of compare and say okay you know player x is going to be playing these teams let's look at how these corners performed last year Um, and then you can just kind of match it up like that or if it's just you're a hardcore football fan or even casual football fan and want to look at the position differently, I think it'll really have you covered. Um, and like I said, and like you mentioned, there is no one else looking at the position in this way. No. And that's kind of why I pivoted away from the draft guide as much as I love doing them and I got amazing feedback on them. Um, this is just something different. And I think that the market will benefit from maybe not necessarily following what I do to a T, but maybe just opening our minds to another way of evaluation. Yeah, it's it's excellent work. Um, okay, let's me- let's mesh your draft history and your cornerback history. And if you're a GM and you're analyzing the corner position, you know you mentioned the process. I mean, I think you're leaning a lot towards technique. Yeah. But you know, in a nutshell, and to the naked eye and to the average fan, you look at corners and say this is a reactionary position that's in charge of covering very fast human beings that are great route runners, you better have quickness, speed. I mean, you better have a high level of athleticism where some positions that might not be at the top of the list. But if you're a GM, what's two or three traits, athletic or not, that you really want if you're going to use a first-round pick on a corner? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, some of it's going to be based on the scheme that you're running. Um, So we see teams like Pittsburgh, they're going to be valuing guys who can close on the ball very quickly, especially if you're lining up off the ball, giving that 7 to 10 yards of cushion. Um, You want to see guys react very quickly um, and also have that speed to kind of back it up. And I think I value that in any scheme. I I really like guys who can show that last-second burst, um, maybe like that last four yards or so. If you can really whether you're downfield or coming downhill, so on like a a curl route or if you're on a go route. Either one, you really have to be able to play that ball in the air and disrupt the catch process. So I think that that short little burst that you see, it's not necessarily a 40 time, but you're going to see it again in about that four-yard stretch. You can make up with some of that with length. So these super long corners definitely having a little bit of an advantage there because theirs isn't going to be as as important. But I would start with that short area burst. My other one is balance. Balance is something I think you can learn and you can improve on with technique. But I do think there's also a bit of a natural feel to being balanced. And you see this a lot in your back pedal. And also when you're transitioning from your back pedal to stay in the hip pocket of the receiver 
And really, this is upper body and lower body. So I look at this a lot as shoulders over knees and how quickly you can change directions. Because if you have your shoulders over your knees and your feet aren't all over the place, you can look at like Kevin King last year for the Packers. His feet were all over the place. And so for him, he never stayed balanced enough to be able to plant and explode and follow with the receiver. And that's what led him to really struggling as a rookie. So guys who have a little bit of a natural balance to their game, it just doesn't look like they're working hard and doesn't look mechanical. They just can kind of pivot and go, and it's quick. And then if you pair that with that short area quickness, you really see someone special. And someone that you could look at from last year's class even was Marshawn Lattimore. Um, Just a phenomenal prospect, even though he had one year on tape. He is a guy that instantly translated because he had those two things. He was so fast and just so quick in his movements that he didn't have he didn't have to think about it. And you look at a guy like King, everything to him just looked like the, the game was moving on you know triple speed as opposed to moving at half speed. Mm-hmm. And so for for him and Dory Jackson's kind of the same way too. Really, just getting by with his athletic traits right now. Um, those athletic traits definitely will help him in time. But you kind of have a little bit, and you know he's a little bit more. Um, I think he's better with the ball in his hands than it is when it's not in his hands, and so he doesn't really have that natural feel. Whereas Lattimore, everything just looked like it was God given to him. Yeah, those are great examples, and we probably have a lot of listeners out there that never played the game or haven't in many, many years. And I urge all of you sitting there in your living room or wherever you're at right now to get in a football position with your shoulders over your knees and pretend that you have pads on and backpedal and flip your hips. You know, when us scouts talk about loose hips and his ability to flip his hips and get into a position then where you can turn and run with a receiver, that's much harder than all these guys make it look. I mean, just for the average human beings out there, just try it for 10 seconds and you'll trip and fall all over yourself in your living room. And then you may have a better appreciation for it. Um, You mentioned King. And you mentioned earlier that the Vikings were number one on your list. The Packers were number 32. I wonder, elaborate on that a little. And I also wonder if the coaching change, the defensive coaching change in Green Bay might help that situation. And I also think Zimmer's really good at what he does. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I I think uh, there's probably, um, I would say probably a 25% increase there in effectiveness, probably just for the Vikings, just out of coaching, on top of the great talent that they have. Um, so we saw a big jump out of Trey Wayne's last year, mm, yeah, and it's point. it's it's easy to look at the last couple games and then the playoffs. Did he struggle? Yes. Is he a perfect player? Absolutely not. But he's a high end number two corner, so he has limitations, and he has to kind of deal with those limitations. But he's very stiff in his movements, even though he's kind of a shorter guy. Um, he has enough length, but he's very straight lines fast, and he's kind of a unique player because of that. And to be honest with you, I didn't think that mechanically and with his technique that he was going to really be able to to improve too much because generally guys who are just so stiff in their movements and don't have like the length to overcome it, you'd kind of see them top off as rotational corners or kind of journeymen. They, they go to a couple teams, and they're never real impact players. Um, but Wayne's really improved last year and just got drastically better. He hit a whole new level with his technique 
Um, do I think he's one of the best in the league with it? No, but he compensates for his limitations really as well as realistically I think he will be able to moving forward. Um, and, you know, there's again, there's going to be growth in areas like discipline like we saw later in the season. But his jump forward to be able to give uh, Xavier Rhodes a more than competent partner across from him was a major factor. And then I would also say that Terrence Newman, despite being approximately 65 years old, Right. Still being like a, an extremely effective player, he ranked number four overall in my slot rankings. Wow! Um, yeah, he was f- fantastic. I mean, he was so good that even a guy like uh, Mac Alexander, who is the heir apparent in the slot, they they played less than Terrence Newman. So it just speaks to how well that he played to be able to keep a young player who cost a lot less money off of the field for a team that really could have afforded to 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 save that type of money on Newman, but. You know, that's a credence to him and, and his technique and his ability uh, to play the position. And, and you kind of compare that to what Green Bay has. Green Bay went out, they got Devon House, who was a nice pickup. I mean, for almost the vet minimum, uh, what he signed for, he gave them that same value, even though his talent is limited. So he gave them as much as they could have possibly expected, but there's still busy, major physical limitations there with him. Uh, he, you know, again, and then Dom Capers' defense. You had guys moving all over the place. Demarius Randall, he's not really a pure corner. He looked a little bit better in the slot. He looked a little bit better in zone. And yet the Packers had so many injuries and had so many issues. And then you know, just in general, play calling in general was just sort of scattered and, and unreliable. And so Randall's moving inside and outside. And I don't think he ever had a firm footing of the position, and I don't really know that that's fully his fault. I think he's uh, a safety. He <laughs> well, I think that's another part of it, too. Is you look at his role in college, and yeah. he was a slot safety. And so it kind of makes sense that he was better in the slot for Green Bay than he was as a boundary corner. Um, but his role was never really defined, I don't think, in his short time there. And then you look at Kevin King, and Kevin King, I mean, the upside is obviously tremendous. There's no one that's going to doubt that. He doesn't really play as athletic as he tested, though. Now he can get away with that and compensate for that. But I think gigantic. He is oh, it's unbelievable seeing him on the field. He almost when he was matching up against Julio Jones, which was really his best matchup of the year, um, which is a good thing in a sense, but it's also a bad thing that he started out well and then kind of dipped as the season progressed. He almost looked like a mirror image of, of Julio, except for less muscular. And so that's it's almost startling to see that at the position. Um, but, you know, King is very, like I said, mechanical. Everything for him is he's thinking about things. He has to process everything. Mm-hmm. Just it overwhelms him right now. And that's not surprising coming from Washington where he could just rely on his physical gifts and be a really good player. But for him, it's going to be a process. I think it's going to be a multi-year process, which is why he was a second-round pick. It's okay. But now that makes it difficult with the Packers trying to overhaul the positional group they're trying to build around King, but it might be a little bit too soon to rely on him to make such drastic leaps. Maybe he'll get there, but then again, if you can, getting rid of Dom Capers should help. We'll see, kind of see how Mike Patine comes in. Um, he's got a good track record with corners, so if he can kind of add maybe like that twenty percent boost, like Zimmer has given to the Vikings with excellent coaching, excellent refinement, and giving these guys uh, almost the comp, just like the confidence in themselves that they can do things without thinking uh, too much about the game, that's going to give even King a significant boost. And I think it should be noted that more so than most positions on the field, rookie corners have a tough time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, what we saw last year was extremely 
um, extremely unlikely to, to repeat itself in the future um, too often. I mean, you had Marlon Humphrey, who played amazingly well, obviously Lattimore, Trey White from the Bills. And I mean, these guys, any of these guys, any single year would be, you know, rookie corner number one. And there's probably four or five guys who, who really you could say, you know, hit the ball out of the park with their their rookie season. So extremely unlikely that we'll see that anytime soon again. Um, and that's nothing against other classes. It's just we knew it was an extremely deep class when we were approaching the draft last year, and it proved out that way. All right, we were just talking about rookie corners. And that leads me to this question is... If I am taking a corner in the NFL right now, from this point on for the rest of his career, like I get to build my team and I get I get, my, I get first pick of any corner available, I would take Jalen Ramsey, although I bet you're going to tell me he's more athlete specimen than he is technician. Yes. Lattimore Correct. has to be in that conversation too after even just one year. He's that good. But a dark horse that I think is going to be the next great corner that no one talks about is William Jackson the third? Mm. Am I missing somebody? Is there who would be your first overall pick when you take age into consideration where they are now? You know, I still think Patrick Peterson's right at the top of the list of who's the best corner in the league right now, but he's yeah. not going to be here as long as those guys. Yeah, that's a good part on Peterson. I think he's been like the forgotten man um, over the last couple of years, and and part of that is Arizona's decline and, and struggles. Um, but he's definitely been a great player. Continued um, for me. I think it would be Marcus Peters. Um, I've, I've been partial to Peters, um, just even going back to his draft film. I just, I absolutely loved him coming out of that draft class. He was my number two overall player uh, in that class, and I just, I, I love the ball skills and his ability uh, to lock down receivers beyond just creating turnovers has drastically improved. Um, he was number two in this study's success rate, so he has the consistency. And last year, he was actually a, a very high-ranking player as well. So the last two years. Um, since his rookie season, he's cut out a lot of the bad plays, and he's just now um, just a complete monster on that side of the field because it's not just man coverage. It's even zone coverage. He's coming down on routes that he has no business coming down on because he sees the plays develop so quickly, and he's just so smart and so instinctive that there aren't many corners in the league's history to be able to force turnovers the ways that he does. And I think that with his consistency – um, now as a, a lockdown corner, I think he's really got to be in that conversation as the top guy in the league, which is impressive because you just mentioned a few guys. And I mean, it, it, there's really not many arguments against like it's, it's just such a deep position right now in the league. There are a lot. Yeah. I mean, you can go 10 deep and still forget, you know, William Jackson, for example. William Jackson's probably not in most people's top tens. But the reality is, is that he was probably a top six corner last year. But like, I think he will be a, soon. Was kind of my point with him. Is, he should be, yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. And and even this past season, the numbers that he allowed were out of this world. They were best in the league. He was a premier corner, undoubtedly, this past year. But he's not getting much talk because there's so many other good ones. And partly because Cincinnati also had a tough season. But you're right, though. I would definitely say William Jackson's a guy. And and, and it was William Jackson's first year. I mean, he missed his freshman, his rookie right. season. It was his rookie year. You were it was amazing. About, right. Yeah, like so. If this was the NBA, where you know they they've got second year players up for rookie of the year, if we would have lumped uh, William Jackson into that same group, I really don't know who you would choose between William Jackson and Marshawn Lattimore. 
you might argue that Lattimore probably is a little bit more gifted athletically, and so maybe you go with probably, him. Right. Um, but I mean, it, it's really splitting hairs. I mean, it's it's an incredible league uh, right now, and, and these guys are uh, most of them are young. Peterson, I think, is still 28, so it's it's not like he's facing a major decline anytime soon. Uh, it's it's impressive. I think the only guy who's really dropped off. Um, has been Richard Sherman, and part of that's just because of injury. I mean, right, I, right. If, if he came back 100% this year, he's right back in the mix. You brought up Peters, and a note that I jotted down when we started this conversation was I wanted you to give Rams fans a taste, and you already did with one. What are they getting in Tlaib? What are they getting in Peters? I think Phillips certainly helps both their causes, as does Namakong Su and Aaron Donald charging up the middle and wreaking havoc and the pass rushes too. But what, what should the Rams expect from these two? I mean, you already pretty told me, pretty much told me about Peters. But yeah, yeah, Peters is, is is such a special talent, and and it's funny because they they continued the archetypes from last year that they ran. So Kayvon Webster um, really played as well as kind of like Devon House played as well as you could possibly expect for yeah. his talent level. It is ceiling. Um, yeah, exactly, and and part of that's Wade Phillips just being amazing. Um, but Peters is just going to slide in at Kayvon Webster's spot. Webster played a majority of off man snaps. Uh, Peters is going to play vast majority, almost one of the heaviest off-man snap corners um, in the NFL. So he's going to be reliably in that role. Um, he'll be the left cornerback. And then you'll have Aqib Tlaib taking the archetype of the press man corner and the press zone corner. Um, although Tremaine Johnson could do a little bit more than that. He was, you know, I think Johnson was a little bit better than than Tlaib, which isn't shocking considering Tlaib's a little bit older now. Um, but he naturally fits right into that role. He's a similar type of player, similar type of strengths. Um, Tlaib is still a dominant press man at the line of scrimmage. He still has that awesome play strength that can instantly disrupt the timing of a route. He still has the quickness to get back quickly in a position in case he does lose at the line of scrimmage. He doesn't quite have, I think, the explosiveness to really play the ball as much as he used to. Not quite um, as twitchy but, as he once was. Yeah. And he's I always been a longer guy too. It. Yeah. Yeah. And and thankfully because of his length and because of his strength, he should age well. Um, I think he's going to be 34 this year. Um, so that's, you know, the drop-off could come at any minute. minute. Like, you, you know, you always kind of want to knock on wood with that type of stuff. But if anyone's going to age as well as, as possible, it's going to be him because he's been a, a very good technician the last few years as his, as he's gotten older, whereas I think he used to be a little bit more reliant on his athleticism. And, and you mentioned it. He's not going to necessarily be dominant on all type of hard-cutting routes. I don't know that he really has that burst that we talked about earlier in the show anymore, and that's just not to be expected. But the surrounding cast is so good with LaMarcus Joyner and even Troy Hill as a depth yeah. piece and um, Nikel Roby Coleman. I mean – they have the, the horses around to kind of protect him a little bit and keep him really focused on the stick routes. So curl, comeback, and go routes. If he can dominate those routes, which he has been for you know a decade, you know, then, then he's going to be just fine. And I think that there's going to be a very small drop-off from Johnson to, to leave this year. I, I don't know if you have this information in front of you, but I do think our listeners would love to know. And I have a pretty good idea, but maybe I don't think they do. Who are, which of the 32 teams, if you had to say the top five press man teams, just in terms of uh, percent run, and who are the the heaviest zone teams or off teams? Like, are there a handful of teams 
that come to mind, and everybody does everything, of course. It's not like everyone just lines up like we used to in the schoolyard and you got him. But okay. are there a handful of teams that really stand out at the top of the spectrum in terms of percent of coverage they play? Yes, definitely. So I do have the numbers in front. Um, so the the top five um, press man teams, you'd be looking at the Ravens, the Vikings, the Patriots, the Chiefs. Surprisingly, even though with Marcus Peters uh, being such a heavy off-man team, basically the other position, whether it was Terrence Mitchell, uh, Philip Gaines, Darrell Revis, extremely heavy press man. Um, and then even Who were the other ones? I'm sorry. Year. You said Ravens, Pats, Chiefs. Yep, Vikings. Like, okay, no surprise and, there. And then the Redskins. Okay. Surprisingly, yeah. they, they uh, Even with Norman, Norman didn't press a whole lot last year, so they were kind of similar to the Chiefs where uh, it's just everything away from Norman was press man. Quentin Dunbar, Fabian Monroe, Bashad Breland. Um, so th- those were the heaviest ones. And it's definitely not shocking. I think the top three with the Ravens, Vikings, and Patriots. Um, off-man teams, you'd be looking at... And Norman kind of all- has the, the Sherman role. Yes. yes. Well, the he's Peters transitioned role. a bit as he's, uh, as he's aged, and I think his effectiveness has dropped a little bit. But he's definitely an off-man, off-zone. You really want to keep him in zone. Um, as much as possible as he's gotten a little bit older. Um, but he's still dangerous in his own right, even though he didn't log an interception last year. And I think that's a con- contention point um, that the Redskins need to be concerned about. But um, at least he's someone that you can kind of count on regularly in zone. He's a lot better, I think, as a zone defender. Um, for off-man, so off-man and off-zone are going to be pretty similar. Sure. Um, there's not a huge distinction here. I try to use my best judgment. Um, off cover four looks very similar to off-man at times, um, especially with one of these teams that I'll mention. Um, so Philadelphia Eagles were the the highest team with off-man, which makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. They're corners. They like the cushion. They like to be aggressive. They like to come downhill and make plays. Most of them are pretty limited as far as when they have to turn and run with receivers. So giving them that 7 to 10 yards and relying on that pass rush to hit home before they're really exposed makes a lot of sense. Folks, um, just real quick, Ian, let me jump in front. Folks, yeah. this is why I tell you that there's teams like the like the Panthers always come to mind as a traditional team. Yep. They were a little different this past year, but you got to cut corner somewhere, and some teams cut corner at corner. And yep. the Eagles obviously do not in their front seven. I mean, they put their resources in their pass rush for this reason, so they sort of cut corner at corner. Maybe they lucked into a stud and Sidney Jones, we'll see, but Ian's kind of... Yeah, you know, extrapolating on what I've been telling you guys this way. And it's and just to continue to back that, these other teams are going to reinforce your point here. So Detroit Lions, um, Tampa sense. Bay Buccaneers, uh, Los Angeles Rams, and the New York Jets. If you want to look up the teams that had the least amount of money dedicated to the, the position last year, those are going to be towards the top of the list as far as staying cheap at the position because off-ball corners and zone corners are generally more affordable than man-to-man type corners and press man type corners. So even though Darius Slay is fantastic and Brent Grimes is you know a specialist as an off-ball corner, um, you know these teams have said basically you know we don't trust at least one of our corners enough to consistently play press man. We're going to pay a little bit less and try to protect them with safety play and linebacker play and go a little bit cheaper at the position by playing a lot of off man and off zone. It's interesting you brought up the Jets because I don't think that's how they want to play. You know, I think Todd Bowles wants Patrick Peterson, you know, and 
Todd was actually our assistant defensive back coach when I was with the Browns. So we spent a year together. He's really, really bright. And they just signed Johnson. They're bringing back Claiborne. So Mm -hmm. I think that he's going to want to be more aggressive in terms of pressing and those type of things. Yeah, I agree. And I'm really excited to see it because Claiborne was very good last year as a press corner. Um, He was, I think, in my top 10 or top 15 as a a press corner. This makes me crazy. I apologize. But he remember the year, you're a lot younger than me, but the year he was drafted, (laughs) they gave Carr huge money, and then they traded up in the draft like crazy to get Claiborne for Rob Ryan's press defense. And then one year later, they bring in Rod Marinelli, and they're playing all cover two. Like, oh, like what are you doing? Total waste. <laughs> right. Yeah, total waste. And everyone waste. says Claiborne's a bust. Well, that's not what he was drafted to do. Yeah, exactly. And and he did. He really struggled playing off ball this year. His splits between press man and off man, you can see it in his charts, which you know is in the handbook. It's it's a huge split. It's he's a massively different player between the two different coverages. And it's going to be really fun to see him and, and Tremaine Johnson. I think you're right. I think they're going to jump to the top of this list as a press man team. Todd and they wants to blitz. Be, they want to be aggressive yep. and leave them on islands. They Especially don't, with they don't those have great safeties. pass rushers. Right. Now they have the safeties yep. in place, too. Yeah, they're going, going to be, be bringing fun. the house. Yep, for sure. I was surprised to see uh, Buster Screen be brought back just because he's kind of a penalty magnet back there for them. But, I mean, he's going to be in his more natural slot position as well, which is going to help him. Uh, because last year he played outside way too much, and that's just—it's just he's just not built for that, and that's not really his fault. So it's hard to hold it against him. Uh, but yeah, they—they they were a dramatically improved defensive uh, secondary with the addition of just one player. Yeah, that's a great point, Ian. I want to wrap this up, but if you have a underrated corner and an overrated corner for me, and if you don't, it's no big deal. But somebody that's a household name that really ain't that great anymore, and. Don't do Sherman. You mentioned him because I do think that's injury-related. And yeah. is there a no-name guy that's really, really playing well? Um, you mentioned Casey Hayward. I'm writing up the Chargers right now for my website, Williamson Football. And I said, he had one of the best years in the league last year. He's not the biggest. He's not the fastest. But he's really yep. technically sound. He's a great player. Yep. Totally agree. He he finished number one in oh, my wow. success rate yeah. this year. So I wholeheartedly agree. As much as I love Peters, Hayward finished first. Um, I think the probably I'll give you two names for underrated. I think Bradley Roby in mm. Denver. I think he's a guy. He's really ready to to take that step and take that mantle from Akib Talib. Um, he ranked number four overall uh, for me and my master rankings. Um, and I think Robert Alford from the Falcons is another guy wow, who's, who's significantly improved without necessarily um, becoming a star. He has some issues with pass interference calls. Uh, and that would be my one nitpick with him. He's also not the tallest. He's also not the fastest. Um, and, and guys like that, and you kind of mentioned with Hayward, they kind of go underrated for a while, and then they just have a breakout season. And that's what this study is looking to do. It's looking to say who's underrated a little bit. I think Alfred's in that role. I think he's a master technician. I think he's really completely um, become one with his body. And as far as mastering where he is at on the field, he knows his limitations. Um, the only thing that he needs to improve now is becoming a little bit less physical at the wrong time. And that's just one of those balances that some guys make it like Jimmy Smith. He figured out how to do it. Great call. Some guys, some guys never figure it out. And they're just, you know, it, they're a 50, 50 call when you go downfield and, it just is what it is. He can still be a very good player, but that always might be his limitation. Um, for overrated, I always, you know, it's always hard for me to to, to go with this one. 
um, because sometimes this study doesn't always um, favor certain type of corners. I I think that Malcolm Butler is a little bit overrated. Mm. Um, he's he's effective as a press man, but I think in general he's more of a zone corner because of his physical limitations. Um, he's physical at the line. He's got a great mindset. I love how feisty he is in the run game. But when he has to turn and run with receivers, you just he you can see the four six speed. Like yeah, it, right. it definitely translates to the field. He's a guy that if plays get extended, you want to look his way because he's not going to keep up with the receiver as they're darting around the field. Um, I, I think that he – I don't know if it was contract-related, and maybe 26-17 wasn't the best year to, to judge him for. It seemed like he played with more pressure on his shoulders, and he, I don't think he played as well last year as he did in 2016. Um, but for me, to see the money that he received from the Titans, um, that's really worrisome to me because they're really counting on him to be a, a, a super stud Maybe not a superstar, even though the money suggests it. I think they want Adoree to become a superstar, mm-hmm. which is possible. But, man, they, they paid a lot of money for a guy who's never been a lockdown player, um, doesn't really force the turnovers that would justify that type of variance in his play. Guys like um, Joe Hayden is probably a good comparison here. Joe Hayden used to make enough plays to where it's okay that he occasionally blew a coverage because he was going to get four or five interceptions and bring two of them to the house. Butler's not really that type of player right now, um, so unless if he can up the the turnovers and make the better plays to kind of offset the bad plays and offset some of the physical limitations, I think it's going to be a little bit tough for him to live up to that contract. People forget Hayden was a four six guy too. I mean, that was the yeah. knock on him coming out. Yep, and, he, and you see it. You definitely see it. Yeah, on you do. And he's, now he's probably a four seven guy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ian, this was phenomenal. Happy birthday to you. The Birthday present you're going to get from the 6,000 or so folks that are listening is they're all going to buy your cornerback guide. Please tell them how to do that. Yeah, so very easy. Um, I really appreciate the support. You can go to my Twitter page, at NFL Film Study. I've got the link plastered all over. If you want to go directly to the site, it's very simple. Draftcentric.weebly.com. It's very easy. You'll see it there on the homepage. Um, If people want to put in... A $5 off coupon, I'll throw that out there now. When you put add to cart, just put in success rate, one word, and you'll get $5 off your order. It's emailed directly to you, um, and you get, you know, it's, it's right there, and it's awesome. It'll just, you know, it's it's, it's automated process. So you don't have to worry. Um, if you have any questions, I also have a sampler with about seven or eight pages or so on the website. So if you're not sure what you're wow. getting into, you can download the sampler. It's absolutely free. And I kind of give you a taste of everything that you're going to get with it. Some of the stat rankings, um, some of the explanation, because I don't just have the stats. I, I break it down. You've got two pages for a lot of these players based on like a scouting report um, for over 100 corners. So there's a lot of information in there. Um, I think it's a pretty good value. And, and feel free to use that promo code. Well, it absolutely gets my ringing endorsement. If all of you listening enjoyed this half-hour chat about corners, that's one one-hundredth of what you'll get. I mean, obviously, Ian knows what he's talking about. He just proved that in this little conversation. Go check it out. Ian, thanks so much. Happy birthday, brother. Great. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it.